Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. And with me today is Mike Kading. He is a real estate developer who specializes in affordable housing. And that sounds really boring. Um, And yet his story is something. And that's why I've brought him on the show. His story is something. His mission is something. And, um, you know, to say, well, it's kind of like some of the finance people I brought on. Here's finance. It's like, yeah, but it's really interesting when you come at it from a different angle. Here's real estate development with a focus on affordable housing uh, with a heart. And that is why I have Mike Kading with me today. Mike, welcome to One Sharp Sword. Oh, thanks for having me. This should be fun. It should be fun. But will it be? We'll we'll see. (laughs) It should be. Uh, It's funny. So you didn't you didn't grow up as a kid going, you know what? Affordable housing is the way. Not uh, at all. Yeah. In fact, I know that you sort of stepped into this. You slid into it sort of uh, sideways. This was in some ways your parents' vision, your dad's mm-hmm. vision specifically. Um, but before we talk about your dad, can we talk about how you grew up? You're in Minnesota now. Did you start there? And um, what allowed, usually it's kind of a family uh, perspective yeah. where you go, you know what? The, the community needs more. Mm. And usually that's where it starts. And I'm just curious, like, as you grew up, Talk about that a little bit. What did you get from where you grew up? What did you get from your parents in terms of perspective? And then let's uh, let's go to how the business came to be. Yeah. So I grew up here in Minnesota, uh, and my parents actually started this business. So I really grew up in many ways with my parents with this business. In fact, uh, I can remember stories of them where we'd go on family outings. We would drive about a half an hour away to the local hardware store to pick up materials and supplies. I remember filling up our carts. Each one of us kids had two carts full of materials. We plug it into my dad's little trailer and drive down the freeway. Not sure that was entirely illegal. And we would uh, we'd get to the, you know, these sites and, and work on building these facilities up. And so in many ways, my life was very hard work, very driven, very... Uh, tenacity to accomplish and to achieve things. And so that's it's kind of what my parents ingrained in me, maybe to a point even which that my mom would look back and say, ah, I don't know, we maybe pushed a little too far on some of those points. But I loved my family. I loved my parents. I loved my growing up. And then uh, I went off to college and I wanted nothing to do with the family business, right? It was a small real estate company at the time, but I wanted nothing to do with it. And the reason that was, Ultimately, is I didn't want people to think it was given to me. So I really wrestled with my own ego during that time, trying to find my own way. What do I want to do? And like, what do I want to change and improve? And what I realized was that deep down, 
I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world, right? And so that's what I started focusing on. I started realizing that this business, this opportunity, we could use to do that. I'm making notes about uh, wanting to make an impact mm. on the world. Yeah. Um, and you had these insights about small changes you would do. It's, I mean, I think it's noble to um, to say, you know, I don't want people to think that it was given to me. Mm. Um, and to recognize also that is, that is wrestling with ego um, mm. because there are certain things we all wish we were given more of, and there are certain things that we take for granted what we were given. And so, you know, the, the, all of that makes us who we are. Yeah. And then the struggle to be not that, and then the struggle to incorporate the good pieces of that, whatever that was. Um, so, when you said that you grew up with building stuff all around you, was that as a result of this? It was a small real estate company or a small real estate mm. development company. And then talk about what small changes like you. There were small changes you said you you wanted to make. Those small changes weren't so small after all. Right. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So growing up, we were just building small multifamily apartments. So maybe like eight units at a time. The summer would be packed full of work. And then the winter, I would go off to school and back the next summer, we'd build another small little building. Um, so I lived it. That was my world, my experience. And then, so I went off to college. I realized where I was at and then when I want to make an impact. And then what I started doing, I came back and I, I worked with my dad, right? So my dad and I... Uh, doubled the size of the small company at that point over the next couple of years. And it was really fun working with my dad. I learned a lot, but I still had a lot of learning to do. And then my uh, suddenly, just overnight, my dad passed away. Uh, we weren't expecting it. Um, it was horrible. And overnight, I became in charge of this small business. And looking back in some ways, I think there was some magic in that despite it being just a horrible event and just rocking my life and my world it uh it forced me to step into a space that I was not ready for I was inexperienced in some way but because of that inexperience we could try new things we could experiment we could <clears throat> invent new things there's no one to tell us no and we started doing that we started having some impact with that you know, one of the first things we did over time was to bring in all the different trades in-house. And so I guess taking a quick step back, what are we actually accomplishing? At a high level, we are designing, building, and renting apartments, but we're focused on driving down the cost of housing. And right now, we're already achieving about a 20 to 30% reduction in costs when we're doing our construction. We believe that we can achieve a 50% reduction. But imagine what that means someday. I mean, someday your rent could be half or your mortgage payment could be half. And we think we can have that impact nationwide. So you want to, some of the techniques, some of the things we did, one of the first things was bring all the work in-house. So in the world of construction, your 
owner is typically a different company than your developer finding, coordinating, developing a site who's different than the general contractor who's coordinating all of the different parts of construction, who's different yet again from all your subs, your plumbers, electricians, HVAC, et cetera. We brought all that on one roof. Now imagine for a moment though, if construction were to produce a car, you'd have a different company installing the wheel, a different company installing the windshield, and a different company yet again installing the door. And of course, the door company, well, they would be off on another job site. There'd be delays. They would call you up and say, ah, I won't get out there for another couple of weeks. Your entire line would be shut down in the meantime. And then when they did come out, they would be irate because they could only work on one car at a time where they want to work on a whole fleet of cars at a time. So the world of manufacturing looks at us and says, this is crazy. We would never do it that way but it's normal in the world of construction. And so that was one of the first things we started changing. So you sort of became the Henry Ford meets a large insurance company owned hospital (laughs) or bringing it all in house. Yeah. All the the specialists, right? So the, uh, the assembly line kind of like we have it all lined up and we have all the people we need, we don't have to wait for anybody because they're ours. They're part exactly. of us. Exactly. Yep. And that's like, how big is Norhart? Norhart is, by the way, norhart.com. We can talk about that. That'll be in the in the show notes to for people to find more of you. N-O-R-H-A-R-T. Um, how big, how many team members do you have then? We're about 250 employees today, about a $200 million valuation and we've been growing quite rapidly. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And are you the CEO at this point? I am. Yes. It's, you're kind of understated. It's kind <laughs> of like, yeah, we have this thing. It's like, eh, you know, 200 million. It's all good. It's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. Good yeah, for no, you. I appreciate that. And yeah. it's even the CEO title. Like I spent a year before I took on that title myself, even though I was running the company after my dad passed. In yeah. some ways, I felt like I needed to earn it. Right. Oh, totally. That's a that's an ethic for you. That's a thread that seems to run through who you are. Is mm-hmm. kind of like I'm going to earn this. Yeah, it's good. How old were you when your dad passed? Twenty six, twenty five. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of that's the general age for when we actually kind of come into ourselves. Mm. Right. The, you know, between as a, as a teenager, it's like, I am big, darn it. And um, in your early 20s, it's like, man, there's a world to explore and I'm <laughs> going to be somebody. And at 25, 26, you're like, I got this. I, I you know, I know I don't know everything. Um, and it's a it's a big, bad world. And there's a lot of good out there. And let's see what where I belong. And it's yeah. sort of like you come into yourself and you own it. And, um, that, what a gift. I mean, at that, at that time in your life, what a gift. And it is, uh, it it was also a huge challenge. You know, I can remember at that point after my dad passing that we were going to going through approval on a new project, the city council, I didn't understand some of the principles of building relationships and stuff like that. And so the city council and I were in rocky terms, unfortunately, because of some mistakes I did. 
But then as we went through the building process, they actually shut us down twice because they looked at me as just a pipsqueak kid and then you don't know much, right? And the truth was I didn't. And the second time they shut us down, they said, Mike, you need to hire someone who knows more than you do in this space. And I had to find someone over the course of just a couple of days. Otherwise, I'd have to lay out my crew. And we did. And that's never a good way to find someone. That was a, a real problem. But behind the scenes, we kept working and we kept producing. And I remember just a few weeks before we were supposed to open, we had to pass this water pressure test and we were failing. There was a pinhole leak somewhere in thousands of feet of pipe buried 15 feet underground. Somewhere out there, there was a pinhole leak. And we just started um, started digging. I remember being out there in my nice clothes, like in the mud, shoveling, looking for <laughs> these little, the little leak. Eventually we found it. And I remember the city, the city staff coming out just a few days before we were supposed to open. And they look at our project and they said, Mike, there's no way you guys can open on time. And we worked late through nights over and over and over again. And I remember the final day we had all of the building officials out about half a dozen of them. We had the head building official there spending a half a day studying every nook and cranny of this building. In the end, I remember in the parking garage, the head building official pulled me aside and said, Mike, this is the best project that's ever been delivered to this city. Amazing. I was like, ah, finally, like all this time feeling like I'm not good enough, like I can't do what I'm doing, but still pushing through anyway and getting through that back end and finally getting validation that, yes, I can do this. You know, the reality of our world is that we all start something new. We're going to be terrible at it, right? If we stop at the, at the beginning of that saying, oh, we're terrible, you don't realize you have to fail, 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 fail until you get past that and eventually succeed. And my, and my life has been full of examples like that. That's incredible. You know, the, <clears throat> the lesson of failure is one that shows up throughout leadership lessons mm-hmm. along the way. Um, and I've had... I've I've had mentors say, you know, you've got to you've got to go out and fail. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I've actually I've I've reacted against it. Mm. Because the whole idea of I'm not getting up every morning to fail. And, and that's got to be the mindset first versus where am I going to fail grandly today? Um but it's like uh, you're going to try new things and you're right. What you said was you're not going to be good at it the first time. Um, you could expect to be, but you're not going to be. Uh, and and to keep at it until you get a little better and a little better and a little better and a little better. And at that nice. point, it, you have mastery. Right? Yeah, I, I saw the study recently that was really interesting. <laughs> I think they brought in a bunch of students to make a clay pot. And they told one group of students, like, do your very best job to make the very best pot that you can make. And the other group of students, they said, just make a bunch of pots. And what they found was that the students making the very best pots, yes, their best pot was better than the other group of students' first pot. But the group that was just doing a bunch of pots, after a little while, actually were making pots that were far better than the group that was intentionally trying to make the very best pot that they can. And I've seen that in life. Like you just got to get out there, try and be okay with a little bit of failure because in the end, over time, you will be far better than if you try to be perfect on day one. That's amazing. 
you know, that is the lesson of perfection and perfectionism. You know, people are like, well, I can't put it out there because it's not perfect. Well, the idea is you put it out there in order to perfect it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not about being perfect. It's about perfecting. And it's the same word, just turning it into a, a verb versus an adjective and to perfect versus being perfect. Um, right. It's, means m- multiple iterations. And that's so true. I, I, uh, you know, if you try to do something all in your own mind, it will never be as good as it can be. If, unless you put it out there, get feedback, get insight, get uh, perspective on what that thing is and have others help you mold it. Oh my gosh. There's so many points in my life that, 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 that situation has happened to me. And I'm so glad I put it out there because it's way better than I could have ever crafted in my own mind. So good. Talk a little bit about your values. What, you know, do you have a company mission and vision? And oh, yeah. what are the values that if I asked one of the electricians that you have as part of your uh, stable or cadre ring, if I said, hey, what's the, what are the driving values of Norhart? Mm. Would that electrician know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, very much so. So at a high level, our purpose is to create a better way for people to live. That's it. That's why we exist. We're not here to make a ton of money. We're not here to become the world's largest company. We're not here to become the most famous. We're here to create a better way for people to live. And I got stories on that. Uh, But our mission or what we do is we want to be best in the world at building and managing awesome apartments. That's it. And the reason we're laser focused because we want to literally be best in the world at doing that. You think you have any hope of being best in the world if you're spread too thin and trying to tackle a bunch of things? No, there's no way. I got lots of stories there. But we uh, we have our values too. And our values describe who we are. This is how we decide who to hire, who to fire, and who uh, makes it past something we call it the trial period, where a number of our employees go through when they're first hired. But our values include things like achieving great things. And uh, oh, I got so many stories, but one of the stories, just to kind of touch on a little bit, is when I called up a uh, mobile carrier and that mobile carrier, uh, I talked to five different people, each were unable to help me and kept passing me to other departments, eventually went into the store. And one of the guys in the store, when the managers said, you know, in this entire city, there was a few dozen of these stores, us store managers, we only call on one person when we have a tough problem. Called him up Saturday morning, he solved the issue. And what I ask all of our teams is, do or who do you want to be? Do you want to be one of the first five just average representatives at that store? Or do you want to be the one guy that everyone calls on in this city to get stuff done? And I don't know about you, but I want to be that one person and I want to work with people that are at that kind of level. So that's one of our values. Another one is to level yourself up. Uh, it's all about learning, growing, that tenacity, the energy to want to constantly learn to become the best in the world at what you do. Another one is to uh, constantly make improvements, kind of a continuous improvement mindset because we're, we have 10,000 little problems on our site. Then beyond values, we have our strategies, our um, uh, principles, and our habits. But I'll touch on just one of the strategies. We only have three, but the most important one that we have, 
And the one I think a lot about is creating an environment where you can love your work. We fight to find the best of the best people. And I legitimately mean that. I mean, world-class, best in the world kind of people. We have staff members that will fly in from other states to come work here during the week. And we fly them home to their state uh, uh, on the weekend. And we have about 15 or 20% of our staff are international employees because they're we're just finding the world's best. But the thing that I've learned in life is that the best people outperform the average by two to five to 10 times as much. And many leaders think, oh, uh, hiring the best people is really expensive. And you're right on a per person basis. But where you're wrong is when you're looking at how much they're producing. Actually, the best people are the least expensive when you look at their production rate. And so we're we're passionate, we're crazy about uh, bringing on the very best talent and it creates an amazing culture. So that's that's a flavor. I could go on quite a bit about that whole world. Well, I want to actually, because <laughs> culture is a is kind of a specialty interest of mine. Mm, okay. I am uh, I'm rolling out a new project called Culture of Caring. It's through a thing that I've developed called the Leadership Kit. And um, especially now, post-pandemic, where in traditional companies, traditional corporations and organizations, we are looking at the future of hybrid work. Mm -hmm. Nobody is going to be all in all the time. You know, butts in seats is gone. Uh, And a few are going to remain remote only. Most are going remote first. And so how do you build this culture where the workforce is pretty scattered? And for you, you've got 250 employees. uh, Some are international. Uh, they're coming from multiple states. They have varying cultures. And yeah. you are, uh, I mean, background cultures. Um, and you are saying join our culture, which is one of inclusivity. It's one of be your best and let us help you get to even better. It's uh, it's like everything you've talked about is, um, it's so aligned with, the uh, the projects that I'm working on, and that is also based on what I read, one of the reasons why I wanted you here, mm. because um, there's, for as understated as you are, you know, you're soft-spoken and things are, you know, just that's how you are. Um, there's a deep passion that mm. I can see. There's yeah. something that drives you, and it's not like, woo, we're going to be driven. You know, it's more like, <laughs> look, there's a right way of doing things and we're going to step it up. And, you know, does this mean, you know, is this work your very best? And is this work you at your best? You know, and it's like, or what improvements need to be made, right? And I love all of that. My guess is, uh, I'm going to turn it back to you. My guess is, is that you have a tolerance for mistakes Mm -hmm. uh, as long as they are learning opportunities. Oh, absolutely. I, we talk quite a bit about that. At, so I do all of our orientations uh, because I think it's important for me to have that connection with our staff. I actually do a follow-up orientation about two months after they're hired on. And I ask them, okay, what is the culture actually like? What are the issues that you see? 
Um, but in that orientation, one of the examples I talk about is, I, we stole this from Netflix, actually, it's the keeper test. And so the keeper test is, if a particular employee were to quit, how hard would you fight to keep them? And if the answer is enthusiastically, I would do everything I can to keep this employee, then great, they're the right fit. If anything shy of that, anything shy of that, then they're probably not the right fit for the organization. And then one of the stories that I give at this point, when we were talking about this, when we first rolling this out, uh, one staff member pulled me aside and said, Mike, this terrifies me because this means I'm just going to walk on eggshells because if I make a mistake, that means that, you know, they'll just fire me. I said, dude, just because you asked that question already is telling me you're the right kind of person to be here. So thank you for being brave and speaking up. Let me ask you, how do we choose who to hire and who to fire? Our values. All right. Okay, good. Let's think through our values for a moment. Is there anywhere in our values that say, if you make a mistake, you're not the right person? Well, no. I said, okay, think back to the continuous improvement and challenging the status quo and the points we talk about related to that value. Yeah, okay. It would concern me if you weren't making mistakes. And the reason that is, is because then you weren't trying new things. You weren't trying to disrupt the world around you. You weren't challenging the status quo. And that's what we want. And so we want to see those mistakes. We want to see that lessons and learn from that. But that is no reason to let somebody go. So yes, I'm very passionate on that point. It's awesome. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event www.exponentialsuccesssummit.com. Years ago, there was a there was a uh, a story that I think was from IBM. Um, and, and as I said, this is years ago, decades ago, and it was somebody had made this massive, gigantic error that cost the company tens of thousands of dollars right and and the guy comes to the senior vice president and says um i guess i guess you're gonna fire me now and the svp goes why would we do that we just invested you know that much money in your education it's like <laughs> right now you know um it's whether exactly or not right that, i uh, we've had instances similar to that. And when when someone comes to me and says, well, this person's really screwed up, we should let them go. I'm like, dude, you're thinking about this entirely wrong. That person will never make that mistake again. 
right? They're worth way more to us now than they were before. That's exactly right. And, and right. Will you have them never make that mistake somewhere else? Or will you have them never make that mistake for you? It's a, it's a great way of thinking about it. And it changes, it does change the culture from a gotcha culture or a punishment culture to one of, um, we want to see you grow. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets to grow. And um, the biggest challenge that I've seen is to get management at all levels. So you've got senior leadership and then you've got management, which is slightly different. Uh, manage comes from manos, which is hands. So management is actually hands-on. And that's to really get management to engage uh, almost at a personal level where they understand what the other person needs individually. What do you need or want in order to grow? What are your, uh, what are your desires about growth and to have that available? Um, it sounds like you get that. It sounds like okay. that's something that you, that you were active about with each of your team members. Oh, absolutely. And it comes down to, again, hiring the right people. Like that is foundationally the most important thing. But then we also do things like we have um, coaches we'll bring in. And uh, we have three of them now outside coaches that spend quite a bit of their time in our company. But they are working with the different managers, the different people within the organization to try to up their capability so they can better support their teams. Because a lot of these managers, they're they're middle management, right? They're learning. They're kind of beginning in the career. They don't understand all these principles. And it's really important to have them understand this deeply so they can support and spread it toward others as well. That's fabulous. Really uh, amazing. Step-by-step, everything is, uh, it's just so good. Mm. Um, It really is. You don't see or hear about companies that have this kind of culture, especially from the top. Um, In the companies that I've worked with, the there is great passion at the top. This is what I want. This is what I believe in. Um, and it stops there. Yeah. It stops with that. This is what I want. Um, because there's a limited bridge to get to the, the senior level managers or senior level leaders from the leader at the top. That the ability to uh, infect others and I use that term, like to really infect and affect others in terms of this is what I believe in. Are we all on board versus this is what I believe in. This is where we're going. And the kind of uh, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Kind of mentality. Um, and it's different. When, like for One you. of the things we talk about is psychological safety and kind of partly what you're mentioning there is if you have that yes, man, yes, sir mentality, what you're losing is so much of the brain power of your team, right? You have their hands, but you don't have their complete hearts. You don't have their most creative mind. And even if they are thinking creatively, they may not be comfortable in sharing that. You know, as humans, we're so hardwired to want to feel accepted. And so we do things that feel safer, but are not as effective as a result, like we may not want to feel ignorant. So what do we do? We don't ask questions that we should within the team. 
I think it's, it's so important to build that psychological safety. I mean, Google even did a study and found the difference between their very best teams and the good ones that they have. The number one factor was the psychological safety. And one thing I often tell our teams is that imagine if any one of us were battling out against a world genius at a problem, that world genius is going to win. But if we take a high caliber, high functioning team, the team is going to win. But what's what's the key there? The key is that we tap into the brain power of every single person in the room. If it's only one or two people throwing out the ideas, giving their experience, giving their concepts, that's not good enough. And we need everyone. And then one of my favorite stories too, in one of our uh, annual meetings, so we, we, we do annual offsite meetings with all of our teams once a year. We have like 10, 15 people in a room. And during that, one of the meetings, I was talking about psychological safety. And I remember one guy, this is actually electricians. <laughs> one of the guys on that team was really quiet. And at the end, when we started talking about this concept, he spoke up and he said, Mike, you know, I, I, I do fear that, have that fear. I, I have ideas. I don't always share them because I look around the room and I think the people here are so much smarter so much more capable. I'm sure they thought about this idea already and I don't, and I don't share it. But what was so powerful is what happened next. The team went around one by one and looked at this employee eye to eye and said, dude, we love you. We chose you and we want you on this team and we want to hear your ideas. So great. And so one of the things I share at orientation is, guys, let me extend that to all of you right now. We love you. We chose you. We want you on this team and we want your ideas. So good. Yeah. It's so good. I, um, it just it reminds me, I've, uh, there was a retreat I ran where somebody was just sort of sitting, kind of having the posture of, please don't see me. It's the mm. word. The retreats I run are small. They're 12 people or less. So of course I'm going to see this person. He's right here at the table. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I don't, you know, I just have this sense of I don't really belong here. I know I I chose to be here, but I don't really like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be in this room. Mm. And I'm like, hang on a second, close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes, right? In the room, they were, I asked them to close their eyes. And I said, like, how many of you at this table had, are feeling like you're not sure if you're supposed to be at this table? And just raise your hand if if you're feeling that. And they all did. Yeah. And I said, keep your hands up, open your eyes. And everybody's like, oh, dang. Like, we're all feeling that? Oh, <laughs> it's like, welcome to the table. You all have things to say. You all have things you're working on. That's what we're doing here. Congratulations. You know, <laughs> let's go. Oh, I love that. You know, even for me, um, so I am, I was the chairman of the third largest chamber of commerce in the state of Minnesota. And okay, here I am. I'm the chairman, right? I have got the most powerful, the best position whatever the whole organization. And what I often tell people is when I'm in those rooms, uh, discussing things related to the chamber, guess what? I am even afraid of sharing my own ideas. So if I'm afraid in that position, in that room, that means we're we all at times have that same yeah. level of fear. And what are we most afraid of? You know, the the thing that 
scares us the most is being left alone, mm. being ostracized. Yeah. So it's not a fear of speaking. It's a fear of the judgment that comes. And it's a fear of what comes after the judgment, which is you are no longer part of this tribe. You're no longer accepted. And so it's the fear of abandonment or worse being pushed away. Yeah. And, and the psychological safety piece is the opposite of that, which is you could say anything. You can be yourself completely. And if you belong here, you're going to see that. And if you don't, it's going to be more evident to you than it is to us at first, because it's going to feel weird, right? There's going to be an alignment or not. And it's really, it's an interesting kind of concept to bring to uh, to to a workforce that has some fear around, is it okay to say what I want to say? And what's really interesting, I love that point because I'm a part of a, a different group. I won't say the name, but what happens when you don't have that complete psychological safety is this example. There's something that that group did. For the most part, it's a great group. But there's something one of the group leaders did that was, I would say, immoral. It was stretching some facts that were way wrong in the final result. But everyone was going along with it. And I said, I started pushing back a little bit because I think I was wrong. But, but the reason everyone was going along with it is because the leader said this is the case. And they're like, ah, oh, the leader said it. It's, it's probably fine, right? And they were actually creating videos where all the different group members were saying these things to the world, to the public that were completely false. And, uh, you know, there's some interesting studies out there, like the, the one where they did shock therapy, uh, where they, they have a participant who would speak into a microphone and there'd be a quote unquote, this other participant, in another room where that person, in the other room would have to answer a question. If they got the question wrong, the, the actual subject here would hit the button shocking the other guy in the other room. And he would be the, uh, the researchers would tell him, keep going, keep going, keep going. And it would get more and more intense to lethal levels at the end. But they found like 50% of these people doing the shock thing followed along because that's what the authority said to do. It's so it's so dangerous, so dangerous. Yeah. And not to have that psychological safety. That's that was Stanley Milgram's ah, uh, yeah. study out of the 60s. Yeah. Um and it was a study on authority. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the leader follower dynamic is very interesting i did uh my first tedx actually uh, dove into that a little bit mm. with um what's called the bystander effect and uh kitty genovese back in the 60s was a famous study uh, a woman that was attacked in broad daylight and um there were 18 neighbors that could see this thing happening and, and nobody called for help um and there have been various uh, reports that have corrected various pieces of the story since the the bottom line that came out of it was everybody else thought that everybody else was going to yeah. do something about it the the secondary piece that came out of it was once one person stepped forward and and made a statement other people felt safe to to follow and so can you be that one voice can you be that one person who says i am not in alignment with what's happening 
I'm in alignment with certain values. These are my values. This is the statement I need to make. And it is a place of absolute courage mm-hmm. and belief in self. Um, and, you know, back then to your business where you say you've got room to actually have your voice. Yeah. Which is, it's, uh, it's very calming. <laughs> you know, it's very, if it's very, it's warm, right. And it's loving and it's, and it's great. So, uh, good for you for truly investing. Um, you know, it's, I just, I'm going to ramble for a second. Yeah, uh, and that, that's because the word alignment has shown up a lot on this podcast, especially. Um, and it's very interesting because I've done a lot of interviews around leadership specifically in different roles, you know, in different areas. And um, it is so important. That is like one of the key pieces of being a great leader is, are you in alignment with your values? Mm -hmm. First, do you know what your values are? Not what they should be, not what you're going to put on the wall and then forget about. Do you know what your values are? Can you identify them? Then can you speak them out loud without embarrassment? These are my values. This is what I stand for. It's a declarative statement. This is what I stand for. And in doing so, uh, can you then do two things? One, live that way. This is what I stand for. Watch me. And two, can you then say, come with me? And for those of you that don't want to come with me because this is what I stand for, I wish you all the best. It's awesome. Like, I'd rather you know that about yourself and about me now than any time in the future. This is what I stand for. Do you believe in what I believe in? Come with me. Let's go build some houses that's going to, you know, that are the best in class that are going to change the way people buy homes and live their lives. Who's for that? And I'd be curious about who's not for that. Um, <laughs> but it could be the the structure of well, you're not about you're not about making money, and therefore, you know, I, I want to go for a company that's about world dominance. Mm-hmm. Awesome, all the best to you. You know, so alignment is really huge here, Mike. And I'm so glad that you're like it's very clear who you are in the world. You know, I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's it's why you're here. I, you know, I get I get solicitations about, hey, you know, here's a, here's a possible person for the podcast, and it's like, let me find out a little bit about them. And uh, it's I'm glad you're here. I'm glad yeah. you're here because one, you're missing your mission and your message are great, and um, you seem like a pretty good human. So mm. there you go. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, let me ask you, we're we're coming into the the kind of final portion of our time together. My question is, uh, we're you know, I have a list of questions for you. Are you hoping, was there something you were hoping I would ask you? Um, is there a message that we haven't really touched on that you absolutely really would love to share? 
You know, maybe just to reiterate, I think the most important lesson I've ever learned is hiring the very best. Um, I didn't really understand that originally, but that more than anything else has transformed everything we've done. When you get people of a very high caliber coming into work is extraordinarily fun. And they, those kind of people, they change things. They unlock doors for you that you didn't know could be unlocked. And they're the ones who can change the world. And so highly recommend that. Make sure to find the very best people. Don't settle. I think it was um, Jim Collins in his Good to Great that talked mm. about A players hire A players yeah. and B players hire C players. And, and A players want to be with the very best. So if you're hiring the very best, you're hiring people that want to be around the very best. B players are at this place of, uh, you know, I've got to look the very best. So I'm going to hire people that are below me. Yeah. There have been, there, (laughs) it is true. There have been some mishires that you've had Mm. where you found out you hired a B or even a C player. How have you handled that? Had a lot. I, you know, we are extremely, Extraordinarily picky on who we hire. We've got a very extensive process. In fact, we're 250 person company. We have 14 recruiters. That's the kind of energy we put into hiring. Amazing. Um, but even with that said, even with our extensive process, and we, uh, on top of that, we go through a trial period. Um, so for not all of our positions, we can do this for, but for a variety of them, people will come on and they aren't officially hired for two weeks. And then those two weeks, their coworkers are the ones to decide if they're good enough or not. And they actually go back. And this is partly how I know people know the values is they go back, look at the values and judge on each one of the, of the values that we have. How does this person do? Does this person truly want to fight to be best in the world at their little niche? And so that's a great way to kind of minimize that. It but, really is. Well, let me ask you clarifying. Yeah. How long have they worked for you before you go back and do the, the values test? Uh, so the the first time of the trial period is two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Uh, and we had to be a little bit careful there. I, I would love to make it like six months, but the reality is uh, most people need to know confidently they have a job. It's it's hard for a candidate to be on the on the edge for a long period of time. But then on top of that, we do regular reviews and we ask things like the keeper test. And so we'll then have to move some people on who looked good, but no longer is meaning up to our values. Um, but I think I've had some people I've hired over time that I thought were great and then turned out not to be the case. One of the ones, one of the lessons I learned is that passion does not imply quality of candidate. <laughs> and so one candidate was extraordinarily passionate. She was uh, driven, hardworking, but you could just tell the energy she had in that space. But the thing that I didn't measure during those interviews was how she would be at fostering the kind of culture, continuing the culture that we have. And she was very much the demand, the dictatorial, this is how it's going to be. Nobody questioned me kind of mentality. And I didn't see that initially, partly because of my own weakness in hiring. And she took that team and just, Ah, boy, it was not good. Uh, over the course of a few months, I had team members coming to me and said, Mike, this is not the company that you're trying to create. And so we sat, I sat down with her, but she refused, refused 
to see what all of her team members were saying. Literally every team member we met up with and gave her the data. Here's what people were saying. They said, all of them are wrong. I am right. Just blew my mind that uh, she had that perspective. And so we should have let her go and fight to re-earn the trust of that team. It is so incredibly damaging to bring in the wrong person. It takes a lot of work to, to mend that gap. It really does. Um, and good for you. That's a, that's a tough one. You know, that's a tough one. Firing anybody, letting anybody go is all is always tough. Um, and yet it's it's very positive when it's done for the right reasons. But it's so hard initially, especially if you have someone that you really need. But yeah. I very much learned over and over again, you cannot hold on to someone you quote unquote need. You get through it, it's really painful, but in the end, you find the right person and it changes your world. I'm going to broaden that and say that that is true about everything in life, that we need to be very aware of believing that we have to hold on to this one thing because we need it. And what if we lose it and don't have anything else to fill it? And, And the truth is nothing else can get in if you're still holding on that tight. Ooh, that I've never heard that before. That's a great nugget. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, One of many. Uh, It's it's what I do. (laughs) That is the that is the thing, though, right? That if you're holding on so tightly to something, you you're not opening up to allow Mm -hmm. really the right thing in. This is I need. This is so. uh, It's such a false statement. Yeah. You know, it's so uh, it's based on the belief of, again, the the uh, it's almost like the fear of abandonment, the fear of if I don't have this, who am I? It's like, well, why don't you find out? Like, let's we're all here for you. Let's find out. Right. So, yeah, it's really good. It's really it's good for you for for running your biz that way. Good for you for having the the insight and foresight um, for recognizing that every day is a learning opportunity, mm. you know, the, and, and that it, uh, my guess is, and I don't know whether this is explicitly stated for you as a value, but my guess is that um, at the end of the day, you reflect on the day and you go, what did I learn today? Mm. You know, right. If I haven't learned something, I'm not mm. growing. Um, yeah. I- You know, one of the things is my dad died at a relatively young age. And it reminds me how short life really is, right? We only live about 5,000 weeks here on earth. And one of the questions I ask myself almost every day, how do I want to spend the minutes I have here on earth? And for me, there's a variety of kind of aspects to that answer, but related to the business side of it, I want to make a meaningful, positive impact on the world, right? I could care less about money. You know, in my grave, I think I shovel $100 bills into my grave. Like how useless is that? But if I can leave an impact that positively changes the lives of millions of people, I at least want to try to make that happen. And so having that perspective changes changes how you look at each day, changes your risk tolerance. And when you realize that you're going to die someday, 
You want to make sure that you're living life to the fullest every day that you have. Love this. I am, uh, I'm writing and I'm going to repeat it back. Um, it's huge. Meaningful, positive impact on the lives of millions. It means it changes your risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge. It's gigantic. I have a, uh, a saying, it's actually a trademark saying, which is deliberately, actively, positively. The mm. idea of stepping into your life deliberately and yeah. owning it to step it in, step in actively. Like you can't just go, well, what's life? What, what does today hold? Let's see what today holds. It's like, no, what am I bringing to today? What am, how am I going to show up? How am I going to live my life as a beacon of the values that I said I had? Mm-hmm. And then positively, right? Deliberately, actively, positively, um, for me, teach, teaching, touching, and transform, transforming the lives of a billion people on this planet. Yeah, um, that's one eighth of the population. That's my it. goal. That's personal. Oh my goal. gosh! Um, High five! That's we want to do that together. Let's change the world. Well, and that's it. It's like, so what is the risk tolerance? Well, let me try this. You know, let me let me out there and, um, you know, writing books is kind of it's like people are like oh you know aren't you afraid that people are going to be critical it's like i don't write them for a hundred percent of the people on the world in the world i write them for the people that are that's meaningful to them you know like and when i got my first hater and they're out there you know um i was like this is it's amazing you know people spend such time doing that which is why for me, it's being deliberately, actively, positively focused on lifting others. Lift as you lead is another one of mine where it's like, look, you've you've grown. So who are you helping along the way? Right. So I love how you touch on risk tolerance because so many of us think about today and tomorrow. And we're like, dude, I'm worried about my income tomorrow. I'm worried about how I'm gonna feel like today. But if you're so focused on those short things, like you just can't make the kind of impact you want. But if you stay focused on the fact that you're living a short life, don't waste it. Yes. Those little things become almost meaningless. And that's how you start getting this like strong confidence. And like, yeah, I might fail at that. I might, you know, screw up my income for a little while, but I'm going to figure it out. And I'd rather try and fail than to never have tried at all. Very good. Very good. Uh, uh, there's something that jumps out for me at that about that. And that's the, uh, statistically you look at statistical outliers, right? There are statistical outliers. We've all had bad experiences. Mm -hmm. Statistically, those bad experiences, even though they have stronger psychological impact, statistically, those bad experiences are so small compared to the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of positive experiences that we have every moment of every day. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, don't carry that, that stuff with you and make that the big giant obstacle. It's, it's in the past and your ability to survive is pretty good because you're as old as you've ever been. So, (laughs) so let's go, you know, Uh, it's great. It's really good. I, um, yeah, it's just so appreciate having you here. It's really good. Oh, yeah. I, you know, uh, obviously when we first started, I was I was joking about you know, real estate development is boring, and and it, you know, as a topic, it probably is. As a human, 
who's led, who's built a company and led this company. Um, yes, you stepped in and, and yet you were the one that took over to guide it and to give it some values that, um, there was a great foundation. And so, you know, tribute to your dad along the way, there was a great foundation that said tribute to you for taking on the values for growing them and for really living them in a, a state of alignment. So Love super it. great, super great. Thank awesome. you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Mike Kading has been my guest. You can find more about him at Norhart, www.norhart, N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. Um, look up his organization. It's, it's, I hope you've gotten that it's very cool. You know, it's the, there's good stuff happening in Minnesota and beyond. So, uh, Mike, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. All right. This is One Sharp Sword cutting through to what matters most. I am your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach, and we will see you here next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your Powerful Presence Mentor.